some of the gentlemen over at the company known as Minstrel AI. These folks secured <laughs> 70... Not Minstrel. Minstrel, yeah. Mistrel. Minstrel would be a bit something else. It's how to talk to AI with your hosts, Go to Go and West the Synthmind. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, dogs, cats, robots, and everybody in between, especially you, five day old AI startups with multi million dollar valuations, this is HTTTA. How to talk to AI. I am your host, West the Synthmind and Synthmind West. And as always, in a galaxy where gigabytes govern and algorithms guide our growth. One voice gallantly gears up to demystify the grandeur, strip down the gnarly knots, and steer through the unexplored grid of artificial intelligence. Welcome. Who may you ask? The gateway to all things AI gracing the border between humanity and technology. She is your guru, your guide, your good friend, ladies and gentlemen. Miss go to go G, how are you this week? Hi, I am amazing. I'm so happy to be back, but I'm also sad that I missed you and Keenan last week. Hey, we had a good old time, but we do appreciate your contribution. Oh my God, when I was listening in the edit, I was like, oh, I was getting like, I'm hungry. I literally went to kitchen.ai. I was like, this is incredible. I think he's really onto something. He is indeed. And just the future plans are also fascinating. And that being said, like when I was listening to both of you, I was almost getting the same vibes as watching my really good friend from Italy. So Italian cooking and you both nerding out. I was like, oh my God, this is great. By the way, I have to share with you that that same, my friend sent me a message, but he's now taking CS50 course. Thanks to you. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, I'm totally glad to uh, hear that. I think it's You know, I can't say enough about how that helps connect some of the dots for all the stuff that underpins the world around us these days. Absolutely. But yeah, let's jump into talking a little bit about the business side of AI and what kind of craziness is happening. That's something we can can definitely talk about. I'm sure from every side, people kind of get the sense that everybody is excited about AI. And we have a unique perspective in the sense that we probably follow it a little closer than most. But we found this video by the corporate bro on TikTok that I think perfectly sums up the interest in AI, specifically generative AI that businesses have. So I'm going to just play this right now. And I think everyone will get the sentiment. Okay, so you've all seen the numbers and it's bad, but don't worry. Because even though we burned through almost $30 million in just under six months, I have a plan to raise more money and save this company. Oh God, please don't say crypto again. No, this is even better. A-I. Come on in, A-I. Greetings, humans. I thought you might like that. So like, what's it do? To be honest, we don't know, but it is generative. We can call it Business GPT. GPT. While an excellent, excellent ad there for sales GPT, it does capture real thing? the sentiment that I, that is a real thing. Sales GPT. Yeah. Well, I'm Googling now. <laughs> you go to feverishly types and looks it up right now for this is brilliant. free, free plug care of that video. What are you finding here? Let me. But it is so true. And oh my God, it's just you replace in this video 
AI with anything else and you still get the same script, blockchain, crypto, NFTs. But the significant difference is in the technology. And, you know, if you look at NFTs versus AI, the idea of artificial intelligence been for hundreds of years around and people have been working on it. So it's just that it exploded right now. And I think the big impact maybe historically is going to be that ChatGPT was given to the public. Therefore, like before, yeah, like, you so. know, there was GPT-3 was in the playground, but it was not really widespread because it was not placed or packaged in a way that most users can use. But this technology existed. Well, I think to me, the distinction between any of the generative AI technologies and something like blockchain, NFTs, is the barrier to entry for like the casual person tends to be much higher. Kind of hard to conceptualize what a net fungible token is, what it even grants you, mm -hmm. how it exists, how you even have it. You need to get a special wallet on a special type of website with keys that you have to write down and never lose or something like that. This is generative AI. Just take that. Type me a letter, write me a resume. You know, I think it's a lot easier for people to kind of understand and think about some of the possibilities. But the kind of underlying thesis of that video is not at all far removed from reality. Take, for example, some of the gentlemen over at the company known as Minstrel AI. These folks <laughs> Minstrel, secured a 70. Not Minstrel. Minstrel, yeah. Sorry. Mistrel. Minstrel would be a bit something else. Mistrial. <laughs> I like minstrel, like isn't that like a wandering minstrel, a court jester. That makes sense to me. Okay, minstrel. my girls, okay. if there's any girls listening, they will get why, why I'm laughing. But yeah, let's keep going. Yeah. So minstrel, these folks gained a $74 million investment or valuation of their company, rather. I think it's six people. They have zero users. They have zero MVP. They have nothing built. They have a seven-page memo written on a Google Doc that secured them $74 million in funding. Now, here's the thing. This is, I think, an instance where it's just like, all right, yes, there is fever craziness happening to invest in anything generative AI. But if you look at some of the people that are associated with this, they are six folks that have some compliance, some deep experience with LLMs, things like DeepMind the llama model at Meta. So it's almost just like, all right, this is a valuation based on your resume, what you've done in the past, which is an interesting note to me, at least, because it goes, all right, well, this is a case of where people's like, all right, the tech is, it's going to work out. So I'm just investing in, in you. Is that something that, did you perceive it the same way when you heard about this story? In a way, yes. And I worked in Accelerator and Venture Capital before. So the underlying thesis when investing from, you know, especially accelerators is that you're investing in the founders, you're investing in a team who is going to be behind the startup. So in this way, yes, it reflects. Another aspect is how to say this, that same as you are investing in some startups who are promising to build models and the majority of your investment is going to computing power. So you're literally buying mm -hmm. startup who will give money to the NVIDIA. I think in this way, this is just puts a price tag on this type of profile people or developers with this type of resume. So I 100% agree with you, but it's very interesting dynamic going forward that 
if we start seeing people who work in these fields at such scale value, if they just come together and that's enough to raise mm -hmm. money, the future will show and will tell. But if I would be the investor, I would never do this. I would never put my money just I, on resumes. I completely resumes. agree with you. I completely agree with you. Yeah. On resumes alone. And you're totally right. I'm glad you brought up compute because, I mean, I think, what was it? OpenAI said that GPT 3.5 was $100 million to train in compute time. So it's just like, all right, well, you have a $75 million valuation. This company, Mistral, is trying to be a competitor to Bard and ChatGPT, specifically for the European market, from my understanding. Yes, they already know that it's going to be a, a huge monumental task to train. But I also think it's interesting that part of their whole business model is this is going to be an open source model. So to me, it's like, all right, you're going to put this out there, which I agree with to a point. And I think we've talked about this on past podcasts. But one of the problems with that is then you're going to have a hard, harder time monetizing it. Stable Diffusion and Stability AI is a perfect example right now. They have incredible genre-shattering technology, but they don't have a customer base the mm. same way. If I put my marketing hat on, this move was brilliant from that point of view because now we are talking about it too. But I don't know if you remember then there is this conversation that ChatGPT is direct competitor to Google and then web browsing search is going to be the next big thing. And Google didn't do it yet. Bing was not yet there. I saw so many quite notable investors talking about the search engine Neva. Did you know that they just mm. got, you know, bankrupt? Not, I don't want to say bankrupt because it's placed on mergers and acquisitions, so it's fine. But they are not anymore in the field. And you don't see this in the news that, yeah. hey, the startup came, collected investment, tried to do something, but then big players just a month later maybe boom, have it. So I think there is two coins that we don't hear enough about all the startups, plugins. I think I talked about it in my video, mentioning that all this, you know, email extensions and stuff like that, they're charging money, but how they are going to compete. I want to see that strategy. Yeah. I want to see, and probably in this document is outlined how they are going, planning to do that. But this amount of money on something that we plan to do something like that, there is probably another 50 startups who have exactly the same strategy and the plan. Maybe not even Google Doc, maybe at least Pitch Deck. Talking about Pitch Decks, yeah. right? Maybe they at least printed it out. But uh, yeah, that's actually a great point. You know, I mean, it even says in the bottom here, they expect to need to raise another 200 million on top of their valuation just to be able to create a model that can compete with GPT-4. To raise cash like that, you probably need a pitch deck. Am I right? Yes. So pivoting to the pitch decks, the interesting finding was done by Clarify Capital that GPT-4 outperforms humans in pitch deck effectiveness among investors and business owners. So basically, if you are a startup and you are making your pitch deck, your likelihood to get an investor is higher if you use GPT-4 to make it and write it. And it's like one in five investors and business owners pitched by GPT-4 would invest 10000 or more. And with this pitch deck hey. from Mistral, I, I actually went and copied their Google Doc text. Yeah. So I took the text, ran it by AI content detectors, 
And yes, I know they are not good, but I was like at least looking like, okay, what's going to be the spectrum? And it was human. What did you got? You did the same, right? Well, I did it from the sense of, you know, for my business, I'm like, let's take this. If they're getting 74 million, we will take the same format and use it for white papers for some of our tools we're building. <laughs> I mean, that's just the math right there, you know? All right. Mm -hmm. If this, then that, you know, if, if this gets you a million dollar investment without a product and some smart people behind it, hey, I, I know some smart people and we do have some things, you know? So... Maybe right. it'll work the same, but I'll also, probably need a GPT-4 written pitch deck to go along yeah. with it. If we take a step back and on the full serious note, there is going to be so much money lost from the investors. And this is mm -hmm. what is my fear. The part like the sentiment AI gets, if that happens and the startups start falling behind and bankrupting and all that, the media will take it, hopefully, or I expect that media will make a big deal out of it. And at the end of the day, it's going to be the casual user sentiment towards the technology, which is going to be damaged. And that's a bit sad because this technology is incredible and making it so sensationalized. I don't think it's ever a good thing to do. Yeah. I mean, it's seldom do you have something, though, that literally everyone can use or benefit from in such a way. So... I mean, it's only natural to have dozens of people trying to plant their flag on the same thing. It's definitely a gold rush, but not everyone can strike it rich. And I think the unfortunate thing for us as consumers is if everyone's using the same technology, but for different services, hey, to make a pitch deck, to generate some content for a blog, to write marketing emails, if everyone's using the same technology, it's not going to be the the person with the best tech or the best implementation that rises to the top and it becomes the market leader, it's probably going to be the person that can market it the best and tell their story the best, which might mean we're, we as consumers are going, all right, well, I'm conditioned now to sort by five stars and pick the thing with the most downloads or the most reviews. I'm going to pick that one, even though it doesn't do what I need it to will be the first one to say in the generative presentation market, there's things like Gamma. There's a few other different competitors. I think it's read.ai. I'll have to, we'll add them in the newsletter, some of the different AI-based generative, generative slides, generative presentation markets. The market leaders got 20 or 30 times more than the one that I think is the best, which is Gamma. And that's a perfect example of in a case where the people with the best technology, the people leveraging the AI the best aren't the ones winning at this point. Right. I hope that at the end of the day, market wins and market tells the truth, like what people use and value. And from the video we shared, there is this aspect like, but what does it do? What can I actually do? And I hear it so many times that even as basic as ChatGPT, that yeah, yeah, it's great. Like everyone talks about it, even here in Germany, there is even in the local newspaper title all over the place, right? And then people test it and they go like, yeah, I didn't get what I expected. So what should I do with this? Is it even good enough or is it just the hype? And then mm -hmm. just leave it at that. So I think there is going to be some time in the market to see who is emerging at the end. I like to compare this as something to the Excel sheet. Everyone knows Excel sheet. Not everyone is an expert in an Excel sheet, 
But if you have to pull data or do some math or, I don't know, just store some information, you will go for probably Excel sheet or Google Sheets, right? Yeah. So I'm curious which of these models will become this tool in your stack deck that every business wants to come to work for a new company. They will be like, okay, we use Google Docs. We use this AI tool. We use this, I don't know, like conferencing call. I'm not sure if ChatGPT is one of those. What do you think? I think we talked about it a little bit in one of the prior podcasts, but they did a study of several different AI tools and terms of the big language models against a, a large subsection of the population. Say, hey, which ones of these have you even just heard about? It's from Stable Diffusion to GPT-3 to BARD to Llama, any of these other ones. ChatGPT, by far and away, is the one that's most proliferated through the social zeitgeist. I think 60% of people had had heard about it or used it. I think it was around 50 to 58 that heard of it and 14 yeah, it used it, which was a huge oh. surprise to me, right? Wow. What I think is interesting about that is ChatGPT is a fine-tuned version of the GPT 3.5 or 4 model. It's tuned in such a way to elicit these very natural-sounding responses, and that's it. You don't get some of the other controls you get when you're actually trying to pull the levers of the GPT-4 model itself. And I'm amazed when I talk to potential clients and say, hey, we started to build this AI tool. We use the chat GPT API, and then we can't get it to output factual information. I'm like, well, why are you using the thing that's tuned to be more mm -hmm. kind of, you know, interesting and human sounding when you're asking for this like deterministic factual response. And it's because that that's just the thing that they know about. And mm -hmm. hey, I want the AI mm -hmm. shiny thing. Give me the chat GPT API into my business and make it so. And, you know, hey, it may, means means we got plenty of work coming down the pike. Yeah, you have really good point because here in Germany, when I was in this tech conference, one of the speakers said that they were actually in conversations with German government for developing their own model. And government was like, we are in, we want to do this and we have money. But one prerequisite for that is we need the biggest companies to buy in, but they will prioritize using this model over anyone else. And that didn't go through, at least at that point, because I don't want to name the biggest companies in Germany, but I guess you know automotive, banks, very famous banks, mm -hmm. that they were like, no, we will use ChatGPT4, OpenAI, but we don't want our own model. And that was very interesting for me. And he was like completely disappointed, shocked, and they are trying to push this forward and kind of change the sentiment. But maybe there is certain fear of being too late to the game, especially also when yeah. GPT-4 is marketed as the best, the best. And you want the best because maybe uh, if you wait for government, <laughs> German government, to develop their own model, go through the whole set of regulations, compliance, you know, we could be looking at two, three years, including training. At, at best. Yeah. So yeah. If, if they have a product right now in the market, one aspect is to jump on it. Another aspect is to shop around what are the alternatives. This is a perfect example, though, of like, where people are excited to just, you know, they feel like they don't want to miss the boat. I see it all the time. You have probably a very significant first mover advantage 
if you just kind of find your niche and exploit it and get your get your tool, get your model, get your your AI idea kind of built and made and out there. And that is a pervasive sentiment that I think a lot of other businesses and business owners are sharing that is not something that government needs to embrace. I remember I saw this web first hundred OpenAI enterprise customers and you have the biggest players. Like I, I saw Salesforce, LinkedIn there. So there is also this, you know, selling point, who is your customer? So if I am as a business and I know that, okay, my competitors in the market are using OpenAI, so do I go the same route or do I actually look for alternative? But what if there is no better alternative mm -hmm. right now? But there will be. Like, I, I'm very hopeful that this is not going to be market capitalization. And as a business owner, if I would be sitting in those shoes, I would be very closely also looking at what's happening with regulations but also what's happening with lawsuits. This is what I shared yeah. with you that ChatGPT maker OpenAI faces class action over how it used people's data. And there's a couple of these coming out and it's not from Europe, it's from oh, yeah. California, the firm called Clarson. And they have experiences with these type of lawsuits. So that came out just a couple of days ago. So how all of this yeah. pans out and this, I don't know how connected this is, but ChatGPT removed web browsing from the plus users. And I'm very curious to hear yes. your opinion on that because I was filming a video and I filmed video over two days. And on the one day I was like, oh, let me show you how to make a LinkedIn post where you insert link, use web browsing, and then it researches, pulls data and creates a LinkedIn post. Next day I want to film, it's gone. And I was like, oh, right, wow. I'm paying money and I'm purchased it when GPT-4 came out, but of course, web browsing was one of those features too. And now it's just removed with nothing, with no lowering price, nothing. So what is your take on this? Yeah. I mean, I think you, you brought up the most crucial part of it from a consumer's perspective where it's just like, hey, I'm paying for this service where this is advertised. Why am I not getting it? I think OpenAI, though, is pretty transparent that like, hey, this is a lot of this stuff is very experimental. Some of this is even in like alpha stages of development. I mean, I don't know. To me, I probably have not found all the best use cases for web browsing right within ChatGPT. If I have workflows or use cases for that, there's other ways to build that type of stuff in with things like web scrapers or using some Python code in conjunction with the GPT-4 API. So, I mean, like, it's is it going to come back? Yeah, it's probably going to come back. It's just how, how long? Who knows? Yeah, I actually agree with you that my experience with web browsing was half of the time it says, can't read content, can't read content. Yeah, failed, failed, warm, scrolling right? down, failed. Yeah, so if we are pulling it out, fixing it, but then there is another point of this paradox where we have Bing which runs on GPT-4 and it has yep. web browsing. And then there's ChatGPT who does exactly the same, but you pay. So I'm curious on three fronts that what you are saying, I think it's very optimistic view that we are nice guys. We're testing the product. We're pulling it back to improve. Then there is politics between two companies and two competing kind of offerings. And then there is another aspect of regulations and conversations on that front. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, the difference though being when you have Bing 
your underlying architecture is that of a page rank algorithm. That's what Google got famous for back in the day, where it's measuring the importance of the information on pages in addition to the keywords that you're putting in. It's just overlaying the language model's capability to interface with that page ranked service that is Bing, that is Google. I think the difference from OpenAI's perspective, if you're in ChatGPT, you're using the language model that has this little capability of potentially going out and searching the web, but probably not in the same way. Because it's not, I would venture to say it's not using a page rank algorithm. It's using stuff like keyword or depth for search or some of these other ways that we've come to indexed data because mm. in and of itself, page rank is a very, very compute heavy, very taxing type of thing to do because Google's the number one web browser because they have gone out and developed these tools that index every page on the internet, that find it and index it. So to be able to look through that quickly is not something a language model is built to do. I just thought about another interesting thing, prompt hacking. I remember I came across this research paper also made the whole video about it where they inserted prompt hack and prompt injection into web page. And then Bing went on that web page and right. got infected. And then the help broke loose and I started asking for users' bank information for email, for name, and then created, you know, scammy link where you click and you basically done. So the other aspect is, you know, something also was it could be happening behind the doors, but kind of the dark side of all of this. What if more and more we've started finding out these injections on the market? Well, you would hope that you wouldn't have to worry about these big, supposedly ethical parent companies not really kind of engaging in activity that could be considered a little skeezy or dark side of the web. I think this is a perfect opportunity to discuss some of the changes that Google made to their privacy policies this yes. week. Yes. It is literally a couple of days ago. Google changed their privacy policy and I can just read one statement, which let's just jump into and discuss that Android maker will use this data, which is that users share with others for the sake of training its AI model. So this is not the data you kind of leave on the internet, but also the data that you share with other people. And they placed everything in a positive light because, of course, we know you better as a user. Therefore, we personalize the services and we improve our services. So on that spectrum, yes. But on another spectrum, what choice as a user do we even have anymore? I, I would hope they, they give us the choice. Yeah, it's totally lose-lose. I would hope they at least give us the choice like OpenAI does where it says, you say, hey, I don't want to use any of my responses for future training data. There's a little lever you can flip to, uh, to do that inside of ChatGPT. I would expect that has to be a required feature going forward. I mean... I don't know how I feel about this because it has to be because then you're going to, anytime you have a lot of data and you can extract machine learning type insights from it, I mean, that's what this is going to become. And then they're going to sell those insights to advertisers and it'll be even more like, hey, I just had a thought about this thing and you're going to get an Instagram ad for it. I just had a thought about it. Well, it's because they know that someone with your age, race, gender, financial situation you know, because you saw this thing on the news a week ago, you're going to be thinking about this product now, you know, like you're going to be able to draw those kind of connections, which is kind of wild. 
I would say. I mean, it's like, happening to me now all the time. I don't know what I've done yeah. because I usually try never accept anything, reject everything. But now we have a conversation and go, if I go on Instagram, that's it. I get ads for exactly the same thing. It's spooky. One of the most intrusive ways of those, uh, those, those Google search ad words coming back in the form of advertisements. If you ever want to really send an indication to like some, like your partner or boyfriend, <laughs> girlfriend, just get on their phone and just search for diamond engagement rings. You will get so ad spammed on every single platform from brilliant earth, rare earth diamonds, just to no end. I was looking for a, a piece of jewelry for my wife. It's our anniversary coming up later this year. Ooh. I made that mistake just even just searching jewelry. And it's been months of just that's all. I, that's every other thing on Instagram. So, I mean, I'm almost like, well, I don't even have a choice at this point. I have a real story, which is on a bit different spectrum. And this is like probably 10 years ago in the architecture firm. One of the guys we had workshop. One of the guys came and used, you know, office computer, but he searched about babies because wife who is in the same firm is pregnant. Yeah. So he just did some search and then basically the office on the same network started getting pumpers. And then it was literally like as a joke, like, hey, like, is anyone pregnant? And as being a girl in architecture firm, that's, you know, you have maybe two girls in the firm and it's kind of evident that, hey, what's going on? And then, yeah, that was the case that one of the girls was pregnant. The firm knew it before they came announcing that. There's a famous article, famous situation that is talked about in a lot of data science classes for machine learning. Target was one of the first bigger businesses to implement a lot of different ML tactics. And they basically got it down to the point where if, if you're a woman and you're buying any combination of these 20 products, you know, mm -hmm. two or two or three or more of these products, there's a very high likelihood chance that this person is pregnant or has a new baby. So Target had a lawsuit because they started sending a bunch of ads to a family and a father was getting these ads for, hey, for your come do your baby registry at Target. Hey, here's a bunch of things like that. Well, it turns out his teenage daughter was with child and he didn't know yet, but Target did because of some AI. So and that's that story is from 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. So these tools definitely know us better than probably our closest people. But if you pull what I sent yeah. to you. I found this graph to be incredibly interesting. This is kind of like a quick, I would say, sketch. Grading foundation models providers compliance with the draft EU AI Act. If you look at the scaling, so this is like, okay, there is 48 parameters and you can see each company on what kind of level they are. So the interesting thing was Bloom. I'm really curious to look into them more how Google compares to OpenAI, which is absolutely close, 27 out of 48 versus 25, which is OpenAI at 48. Anthropic, Cloud, 7 out of 48. The ones who we see in the market as the ones claiming that this is, you know, one of those models which Democratized. are... Exactly. Thank you very much. I don't know. what What is your thoughts? And also Luminous, which is, I think, in Germany based and completely not compliant mm. at the lowest level. 
to the flip side of that coin, I think is, well, there is no standard to measure this stuff against. This might be the first standard. Mm-hmm. So when you have kind of that that yardstick, okay, then people can start to track to that. You would hope that a lot of businesses and these founders and creators of these language models would have all of these things at the forefront of their mind. But I imagine they're also trying to get the science and the tech right and compete with one another in this arms race, basically. And I think they also recognize there's probably a trade-off. Whereas if you have all of these types of compliance levels built into your model, is it as capable as it was before? Or do you have to develop the technology to be compliant, which doesn't push the tech forward? There was a couple of years ago where I wanted to say, like, I think it was Apple. There was one year where it crossed over where they had to spend more money on lawsuits against people like suing them like patent trolls and Mm. people saying that they had infringed on their patents or their copyrights. Some may be the case. Absolutely true. They had to spend more money on lawsuits than they did on research and development in any given year. So like to me, like that's a indication of like, all right, this is not moving the technology forward when we're having to deal with these type of compliance things. So I imagine the founders of a lot of these companies and the people working there, they want to push the tech forward but and kind of view some of these things as secondary, the compliance aspects. Yes, but also like just for, you know, listeners, you can see this graph on YouTube and we will include it in the newsletter. But this is done by Stanford Research on foundational models. And for me, what was interesting with this, they rank each major lab on multiple different factors. So, for example, their data source, data governance, copyrighted data, compute, energy, capabilities and limitations, which is kind of like a pattern where majority of these models actually stand out. This also shows, for example, copyrighted data. Only two, which is Bloom and GPT-NEOX, which have compliance at some sort of level. For me, this shows that what if it is possible to have clean data sources, data governments, copyrighted data, you know, in your model and still have a really great model because Bloom is one of those models which have almost, if not every single language inside the model. It's it's tough because cleaning cleaning that data doesn't make you any money, doesn't help get the <laughs> thing to market any faster. You know, it just doesn't. It's kind of one of those things where like, hey, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission a lot of the times. I love how from two different worlds we are. This is great to have these discussions with you because it's required to have these different perspectives. What I see looking at this graph versus you. So I I bet you see also like lobbying, exactly what you said, like all Mm -hmm. these lawsuits coming out, like just draining money from the innovation. From my side, I'm like, okay, so can we do innovation, you know, considering users, considering copyrighted data, is it actually possible And if it is possible, can we sustain this slower rate? Because we can't keep up with it anyways, to be honest, no? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think it does highlight maybe a couple of things because as someone who's trying to play with these tools and do new and different stuff in a professional capacity, semi-professional maybe capacity, to me, I don't think there's ever been a major technological innovation where Government put out their regulations first, and then, you know, mm. we've reached far beyond it. I was just trying to think of the last couple major, major mm. ones. You know, I mean, 
shoot, we still haven't even regulated or done anything about social media or the internet. Probably a couple things. There's still copyright laws that govern tons of internet content that are from the times when we only had records and radio broadcasts. I I appreciate your perspective. And yeah, uh, that's true. You know, same as with well, yours cars. Well, thank you. Okay, so Wes, is this place any as good to end the podcast? I think this is a place as good as any. So for go to go, this is Wes Synthbine saying happy prompting, everybody. Happy prompting, everybody. Thanks for listening to How to Talk to AI with your hosts, go to go and Wes the Synthmind. As always, you can check out the show notes and links at howtotalkto.ai. That's all for this week's episode. Happy prompting, everyone.